Welcome to another episode of Elisha's Space. I'm excited to introduce our special guest today, Samuel Andrews, author of the books I See Blue Sky from the Corner of My Eye and God Loves Ugly. Samuel is not only an accomplished writer, but also a passionate advocate for men's mental health. Well, hello, audience of Elisha's Space. I just want to thank you all for joining us today and joining us within this space. I do not take it lightly that you use this podcast as a resource to assist and support you within your healing journey. Today, I am extremely excited to have Samuel Andrews with us today. He is not just a survivor, but also a thriver of emotional abuse. And those of you that have been following my podcast and the way I talk know that I think there's a difference. Survivor, someone, nothing wrong with being a survivor. I've been a survivor and knowing how to come out of a situation. But a thriver is someone who's done the work and they're not easily triggered by what has happened before. They're in a place of overcoming and not just at a place of, okay, I have survived the situation or circumstance. Samuel also is an author of books, and I know I'm going to miss the title. If I do, I apologize. I know I see blue sky and also God loves ugly. And I look forward to hearing you talk a little bit more about those books. So Samuel, welcome to Elisha's Space. Thank you so much, Elijah, for having me, and uh, it's an honor to be with you. And first of all, I want to also thank you for your work, your ongoing work. Thank you. We respect it so much for the time you put in. I just wanted to ask you, can you tell us a little bit about your journey? How did you get started? Well, my mother, it always starts in the family or often starts in the family. Yes, foundationally, it usually does. Yes. And, you know, my mother was uh, emotionally abused as a child, and she was physically abused, and she suffered from mental illness. And let's just be straight out about it. Now, she passed some years ago, and she tried to do it white knuckle without psychology. And, you know, a lot of people do that, and that's just where she was. But she has such a special quality about her uh, that was separate from her illness. She was an excellent mother. She had a gift of speaking to each one of her children as if they were the only child. Mm. And she could have been maybe a little bit um, dysfunctional, having children maybe one after another by the same man, but a lot of children maybe a little bit more than she could handle. Right. But it was very apparent because I was also very observant as the third child and the, um, the first boy child. Mm -hmm. And so I could see her talking to herself, um, answering herself, struggling with some relationships within the church, working out things, rehearsing things that she would say to people that she would never actually, actually ever say to them when she met them. And I saw some illness in her, but I didn't recognize it as illness, of course, when you're a little boy. So she went through a lot. And my father also has was on the spectrum as well. And sometimes you are who you attract and you, you can't attract someone also who's dealing with illness, a mental illness. 
if you're suffering from mental illness. That is not so strange. And sometimes it's not that way. Sometimes you meet someone who's not on the spectrum at all, not highly on the spectrum of mental illness. Because I believe personally that we are all on some sort of spectrum on a mental challenge. I agree. So either you are a 10, whatever that could mean, or you're a three or a one. So there were some traumatic things that happened in the home growing up and very, very hard for me to, to experience. There was um, some deaths in the family, um, abuse in the family, physical abuse in the family and verbal abuse. And so by the time I was 18, I just wanted to leave, just wanted to get out of there. And so I did leave. And I, we, even though we went to church every day of the week, we were in. Wow, you went to church every day. Okay. Every day of the week. Yeah. Uh, my mother was, she knew that the only way that she could make it and we could make it was God. So although, you know, the church is full of a lot of people who are suffering yes, from a spectrum of mental illness, mm-hmm. we, we went to church every day because we were hanging on. And so we learned to pray. My mother would uh, read the Bible to us every morning before school and give us uh, assignments to memorize verses, Bible verses. I memorized Psalms 23 when I was about eight. Mm -hmm. She gave me core verses. She gave us all core verses. And she gave us um, experiences and she made the Bible come alive to us. She had this wonderful way of reading where the Bible became vivid. And I was more interested in the Bible than going to school. And she was very consistent. And that's a very good trait. So a person with mental illness, I think we tend to sometimes dismiss them as a whole person. Right. And a part of my, part, part of my advocacy is realizing we are all whole people. We are all people who have different sides. Just because someone is suffering from a mental illness doesn't mean that they are, they are a lost person. Right. Or we can't do anything with them in society. You know, some of our greatest minds are people who are geniuses who created things in our society who suffered from mental illness. Right. So, and they contributed greatly to our world and society. So my mother had a wonderful teaching voice and a wonderful speaking voice. And so... She wasn't all lost, even though she was struggling. <laughs> she, yeah, yeah. No one's all lost. Right. Uh, we have to do That's what faith is all about. Right. Faith goes beyond what we see at the moment. Faith is a potential. And faith goes beyond what we can see, what we hear. And, you know, sometimes what we can experience is a hopeful thing. It could be part of a process of what could happen next year. It could be part of a process of what could hopefully change for the better, even beginning the seed of something new next week or even tomorrow. I think you bring up a really good point in that a lot of times when we talk about, well, really, even when we talk about a physical illness like cancer, we don't consider the whole person. Overall, we think about the diagnosis or what they may or may not have and define them by that illness instead of seeing the whole person. When in actuality, you know, we're three and one, spirit, soul, and body. There's more to us than just what we're dealing with. And it sounds like your mother, to the best she could, tried her best to try to 
wrap her arms around it as best she could in raising you guys. She did. She, she recognized her own illness and her own limitation. And this is all in uh, retrospect, because at the time, it was, there were some horrors and some uh, manic times, depressive times. I would see her in the bed a lot, mm -hmm. also because she was pregnant a lot. Mm -hmm. And she made a, I come from a family of, my mother was pregnant 14 times. Mm -hmm. um, I'm the third out of, out of them. Mm -hmm. So she was depressed, uh, untreated medically. She had most of her children at home uh, with a dysfunctional midwife from the church. So, but she still hang on. She knew at some core, and that's what I like about, uh, enjoy about your, your work is you combine faith mm -hmm. and treatment. Right. If that's an option for you, of that, wherever you are on the spectrum. Right. And so I came out of that and I left home and I, I went immediately to, the Bible, to a Bible college because I wanted to find out if what I was hearing at the church, I went on a quest. I didn't call it that or know that, but I was interested in comparative um, religion, comparative Bible study. And so I went to a Bible college and um, I began my own relationship with Christ. But I also had some sort of, um, I had to deal with my own, um, I guess, my own illness. Right. Because I was, I had been mentally abused. I'd been emotionally abused. I had witnessed abuse and I had to deal with it. So let me back up a little bit. It sounds like I'm picking up that maybe your mother mm -hmm. was bipolar a little bit or something like that. Is that correct? She really didn't have a diagnosis, and I, I never will, I, we never will know her a diagnosis. What do you suspect was, because you said episodes and manic? She would have manic episodes um, where she would be a little more, um, she would talk fast, Okay. Uh, go through a lot of work. Mm -hmm. um, she could be very, very, very emotionally high and emotionally low. Uh, she could be verbal or verbally abusive. When I was eight years old, I used to walk very quickly. I walked fast. Right. And so... She picked up on that and she told me that I was going to be a, a, a S word, which is sissy. I think it's okay to say that. I didn't even know how to, I didn't even know what that was, but I was so into my eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old self. I would, you know, you, you ignore things you don't understand, especially if they're not explained. Mm -hmm. I knew that I wasn't perfect and I wasn't okay with her, but she still loved me. It sounds like she may have had perhaps some undiagnosed I don't know where she would fall in the spectrum of some form of bipolar disorder. That's what yeah. it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Other other people um, who are also trained as you have, 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 have merited that opinion. And you're not the first person to say that. So I think you, you could, be, could be right on. And I, I'll say this too. We're both African-Americans mm -hmm. and the States. And I'm of the opinion that bipolar disorder, uh, particularly in our within our segment, goes undiagnosed quite often. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully this will help some people in the audience hearing your story. Maybe they will can encourage their loved ones to get assistance so that they can get help. I hope so. But she came from a time, um, because I'm, I'm 58, I just turned 58 last week, 7-7. Mm -hmm. seven, seven. Mm -hmm. And so she came from a time where we weren't speaking about those kinds of things. Absolutely, right. African Americans were not getting. They, my mother, I remember seeing her when I was six with a, a sticker on her shirt that said, "I have voted today. Have you?" Voting was new. Right. Busing were. I was bus. Voting was new. I remember seeing her so proud that she voted. I remember watching her at the corner of my eye when she was shopping. She had to keep 
focus. She had a, she put her back up and she would walk through the store with her shopping cart so proud because she grew up in the South where she wasn't allowed to do it. She didn't look white people in the eye even at, in the 80s and before she passed. Mm. She didn't look white people in the eye. On top of that, she was, I heard that she was sexually abused. And so she went through a lot. For me, she's a hero. Right. And I think what I want to express to the, to the audience is that trying to seek help, seeking help next to that is a heroic thing because the world throws all sorts of things at us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so there's nothing wrong with not being perfect. There's no reason to grieve or feel bad if you fall down on Tuesday. You know that you can probably get back up on Thursday. And there's always hope. There's always a spectrum and there's always hope. And there's always a way to get out of it. Mm -hmm. So I paint my mother as a hero and not a story of complete sadness or complete grieving. Because in my own life, I started to show signs of irritability, anxiety, extreme anxiety. I didn't sleep. And it got to the point that when I reached my 27, 27, after I finished Bible college and broadcasting school, back to broadcasting school, I had the lowest grade in the school. When they handed me my diploma, uh, the dean just shook his head. He couldn't believe I, I passed. You know, that's how <laughs> low my self-esteem was. <laughs> okay, similar experiences in here. He shook his <laughs> I'm sure some of my past teachers are like, how did that happen? <laughs> he shook, shook his head. He just, couldn't, he just couldn't believe it. I mean, I was like one of those people you just said, speak up, because my self-esteem was so low. Right. I uh, felt so bad about myself. Let me throw this in here, too. Mm -hmm. I want you to continue mm -hmm. your story, but I want to also let the audience sure. know it is not uncommon for if you are a child of someone that has a mental disorder like a bipolar disorder mm -hmm. it's not uncommon for the child to have have symptoms similar to what you're expressing yeah. because what happens is you find yourself in a constant state of fight or flight and so your anxiety is already off the roof and it becomes right. very difficult to just function and focus on things that you're you're dealing with in everyday life you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I, that's, that's how I remember it exactly. I didn't know what I was going to get when I came home. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know how she felt. I felt guilty because I wasn't the best student. Right. I felt guilty because I couldn't focus in school. I felt guilty about all these things. But I also knew that she was ill. I recognized very quickly she was ill and she was struggling. And I felt that she wasn't getting the help that she needed. And so... I felt bad. And children do pick up on things. I could watch my mother because children watch their mother. Right. Children notice their mother. But her hugs most of the time felt cold. Her hugs felt vacant. Even when she was trying to comfort me, there was something gone. Not that she, because she didn't have it to pass on as a child. So I forgive her. I understand. And Understanding is one of the best things that we can get. You know, the Bible says, out of all your gifts, get understanding. Get an understanding. Right. And it doesn't say a perfect understanding. It doesn't say a PhD either. It just means that we seek to understand. Right. And we, in doing that, we heal. And so I began to heal. Now, at age 27, I, I went off to Europe. And I stayed in Europe from age 27 to age 38. Mm -hmm. For 11 years, I started speaking German. I avoided. Now, 
a lot, I'm not the only one in the world that does that. It could be a very viable mechanism. I threw myself into my work. I was now singing. I worked at a missionary choir. We sang all over Germany. Um, during the off time, I taught English. I learned, I learned the language. I was appearing on television back and forth and behind um, with other, group, other singers. But I didn't deal with my stuff. And when I had occasional high anxiety or irritability, the Germans would say, ah, oh, he's just a temperamental artist. Now, if I had had these outbursts in America, I would have had handcuffs on my wrists. Right. So God, <laughs> in his grace. He knew to kick you out the country. <laughs> boy, out of the country during the 90s because it ended up like two packs. <laughs> God is good. Yes, he is. And, you know, I think I want to press that to the listeners as well. God is gracious. And the Bible says one day with the Lord is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. Right. And what that means to me is that a t no timetable needed, just honesty and grace. If you fall, it's okay. If you're not perfect, that's okay. If you're struggling, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Now, God is ultimately a healer. Mm -hmm. Now, he can't do that. He can't do that with uh, darkness. But even in that, something good can happen. Right. So just be mad about the grace of God. Be enthused about the grace of God. That's the key inside the grace of God. And there's no timetable with it. And so although I wasn't facing my stuff, God still used me. Although my mother wasn't facing her stuff, God still used her to raise 14 terrific kids who are not in jail. That's a testimony, all, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's what the Spirit of God can do. The Spirit of God is a wonderful thing. So what we chant can come to real. And I mean, I say chant, which we repeat over and over again, can come to fruition. Right. So to think of yourself as a total loss every day, uh, a total waste every day, it's no good. You can't do anything with that. And that's why affirmations and speaking life over your situations and to yourself is so important. Words have power. I often go to the passage in Genesis, you know, because God made us in his image. And one of the ways he made us in his image was speaking the power of the word. You know, that's why you see changes when we start speaking. I things like I am the head and not the tail. I am above and yes. not beneath. You know, no weapon yeah. formed against me shall prosper. For one thing, it oh. takes your eye off the situation and the problem, and it causes you to really look at who you truly are, your identity. It forces you to get your eye off the lack and into who you are. And then the other thing that I often bring up with people, too, is in Genesis, it talks about in the beginning, you know, when God said there is light, there became light. So we faith is a substance of things hoped for evidence of things oh, not on. seen. So if you speak into those places, you might be surprised by what comes from that. You might get light in the midst of that darkness because you spoke into it. So it's a powerful thing. Oh, Elijah, you better keep going. <laughs> you about, you got, I got goosebumps on my, uh, my shoulders and my head. <laughs> you know, so you're speaking truth. Yes. And when you talked about God's word, it's been my mainstay, mm -hmm. everything. Like Jamaicans say, everything. everything. It's everything. <laughs> yeah. Everything. Mm -hmm. 
You know, I had about seven therapists in my life. Seven. First time I was so manipulative before I went to Europe, I turned the tables on him, had him on the sofa. Mm -hmm. You know, because we find these ways to be talk, talk faster than everybody else. Right. To survive, to show that we're okay, to show to throw shade at people, to take control of the room, all these things to block us feeling the awful way that we are. Mm -hmm. We use weed, we use uh, drugs, we use food in an inappropriate way. Nothing wrong with a good meal. I had some some chicken last night, right. but nothing wrong with a good meal. But it's like we use these things as avoidance. Right. So the very first time, first time I had a therapist, I was so fast and so smooth that I had him on the sofa telling me his problems. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was success. But all it was was avoidance. And I end up having to lash out and ruin relationships more, end up alone, before I realized I had to go to the next therapist. That was before I went to Europe. And then when I was in Europe, I met another therapist. She was able to get through to me a couple of things, but I left her. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that leaves me you know, five other therapists. Each time, though, I was closer. Now, the average Joe would say, oh, God, I mean, he must have been real messed up to see a therapist like that, you know, seven. But if it takes seven tries, so be it. If it takes 14 tries, so be it. No matter where you are, that's where you are. God is with you. So I learned something from every therapist. I learned something from every experience. I don't think there's anything wrong with seeing any number of therapists. First of all, it's a fit. And second, it also has to do with your season of life. So yeah, yeah. if it's not a fit, you can't force something that's not a fit. And then you have to be prepared to do the work. When I talk with yeah. others within this industry, it's actually, you know, the conversation is, is said, are you willing to do the work? And yeah. through that conversation, if you're not willing to do the work, because counseling, therapy, it is like dating. Mm -hmm. And if we're not willing, you know, there's one side of it and then there, where the counselor or the therapist or the doctor does the work to assist you. But if you're not willing to follow through, then to be quite honest with you, you're wasting your time and your money. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with it because sometimes within our healing journey, it only takes, it can only take you but so far. And then you need some more time to heal. It's kind of like surgery. Mm. So interesting. Yeah. You kind of yes. have to have some time to heal from it, depending on how deep mm. the trauma is. Yeah. Yes. 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 I had a really bad trauma when I was seven. I didn't mention it to you because I, I'm overcome, I overcome it. So I don't, linger in the past as much as I used to. Mm -hmm. I write about it because I, I say I'm a driver because I was able to get over it. But I had a brother, during, my, during one of my mother's manic times, she actually whipped my brother to death. Wow. She whipped him to death. That is a trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she got fixated. I was seven, so I'm 58 now, so that was over 50 years ago. Thank God for time and his graciousness. Yes. And if you, if you could see me now, you know I look very young. So not only that, God preserved me through it. That's what he does. He preserves people. So that was a hard thing for me to witness. And then um, the police came in and investigated it and it was hidden for a while. And it was very hard for me to witness that. And that's why it's very important to get treatment. It's very important when, some, when you have every indication and you can jump in any time because you're the medical, medical professional. All I have is my experience and you know my history and the work. Mm -hmm. 
but you can jump in any time. If everyone is telling you around you that something's wrong, if the majority of your relationships are in bad shape, right. and the majority of the people around you are telling you something wrong, it's okay to seek help consistently. I 1,000% agree with that. Yeah, I think it is a million percent agree with that. I think that, so I don't even know where to start because there's so much to say. If you don't deal with what's causing your, see, everything is a symptom. So Mm -hmm. if your relationships aren't working well, if you have problems with dating, if you find yourself having outbursts of anger and all of those things are symptoms. And if we don't deal with what brought us that pain, like in the instance where you saw, and that was a trauma when you saw your your brother traumatized to that degree. And then right. that is a- on top of that trauma, you guys went into hiding and that was a trauma. That's always, that's a yeah. scary thing, especially when you're a child. We didn't go into hiding. I want to clarify. We didn't go into hiding physically. Okay. We went into hiding emotionally and we went to hiding the situation and not being truthful completely right. about it. Right. So then you went into a place of feeling like you're forced to be deceptive about it. Exactly. Because you don't exactly. want people you care about to get in trouble. Right. Yeah. Which is a form of abuse there too. Okay. Oh, so much, so much. Okay. So when you don't deal with those things, what happens is you push it down and see we are limited. There's only so much we can take. Yeah. After a while, if we don't deal with what's causing us to experience the pain, then we're going to overflow yeah. like a cup. And the overflow is not yeah. going to be a good thing for other people or ourselves. And it can affect Absolutely. you not just mentally, but it also can affect your physical body. That's why some people experience illnesses like cancer and why some people experience problems in their bones. I mean, this is yeah. there is a tie to mental health and how it affects your physical. So, and it's proven by science. So 1000%, I agree with you. I appreciate that so much. I appreciate that. I was jumpy because how you connected emotional illness with physical illness. Right. The doctors don't connect the emotional with the physical, Mm -hmm. but dealing with your emotional is preventative medication. Right. Because I had a bad stomach. I was sick. I couldn't sleep. Uh, I was promiscuous. I was using marijuana, hopping from one emotional situation to the next, trying to find that fix in a person when the fix was inside of me. Mm-hmm. The fix was the God inside of me introduced by my mother, the believing that there's hope. I named my second book, um, I See Blue Skies yes. Out of the Corner of My Eye, because mm-hmm. all I could see was the corner of my eye. And sometimes all you have is like a pinky of hope. Right. And it's all you have. Right. That's enough to get you started. Right. I've had people in jail who receive my book. They tell me, in my jail cell, all I see is a little blue sky. Sometimes in life, all we see is a little blue sky. Sometimes we have a diagnosis and all the doctor says this and that or cancer and this or blah, blah. And all you see is a glimmer of blue sky mm-hmm. out of the corner of your eye. That's what Christ saw when he was on the cross. Right. Just a glimmer of blue sky. Right. And look what he did with that. Right. So I was acting out. I tell the listeners and people who I talk to, hey, when you're acting out and you know that something's not right, it's okay to ask for help. Absolutely. It's okay to ask for help. Men especially. Yes. Men especially. I had a father I saw every day. Mm-hmm. I had to make peace with him because I thought he wasn't participatory in the solution. I could have been right on the point. But what it, what it did was me not being able to do anything about the past 
and me being angry with him and confused about things, it just it just made my illness worse. Mm-hmm. So I had to make peace. I had to go to the cross and therapy at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I was in a situation where because we're body, mind, and spirit, I could feel my body hurting. Right. Because I had to learn to be honest and do the work spiritually, until I did that, my spirit mind suffered. Mm-hmm. I threw myself in church, but I was dysfunctional within service. Right. In church. Mm-hmm. And we see that in church. You ever been to a church and the greeter looks angry? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And you're like, well, do I want to be no. here today too? You know? How can the church be my help? First of all, train your servants. It's not just about, it's not just good enough to say, I want to serve. An eight-year-old also wants to serve Kool-Aid, but are their hands big enough to hold the tray? Right. It's not about saying, I want to serve. Train your people to understand different types come to the church. The church is where ill people go. Very the true. church is where, it's one of the places where sick people go. Face your own stuff, and then you can be a blessing for others. The Bible says, after you've received, strengthen your brethren. It means strengthen your sister and two. Mm-hmm. Strengthen those around you. Mm-hmm. You can't strengthen those unless you faced your own mess. Right. Sometimes the servants in the church, God bless, are so full of being in the front, when the altar call comes, they don't go to the altar themselves. Right. Get yourself right or get yourself in a process of being right. Get yourself in more of a understanding that the people in front of you are you on a spectrum. The people you're serving are you on a spectrum? And so make it more collaborative instead of you and them. And there's also a number, a text number you can call for men who want to, or for anyone who wants to commit suicide, 988. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yes, 988. Yes. Yeah. So that's there are places you can call for um, assistance because you mentioned before we're spirit, mind, and body. I agree with that. And so you go to church for the spiritual. But you got to work on your mind. And the mind is something you can work on, not just at church every Monday or every Sunday or Wednesday. It's an everyday process. That's right. What you read matter. Get other support. Um, like I said, 988. There's also another um, text, 741741. I'll say it again later, but 741741. It's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week counseling text. Mm-hmm. text. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're just finding the in-between Sunday and Wednesday. Finding an in-between Sunday and Wednesday. I often make the statement and I say that awareness is the beginning of breakthrough. So a lot of times yeah. when we go to church, we may become aware of something. And you may even go up for prayer for it. But the breakthrough comes through the healing. So you can yes. go up for prayer. Let's give an example. You can go up for prayer. Maybe you have a problem with drinking. So you can go up for prayer for drinking and you can have a transformative experience. But if you don't deal with what caused you to drink, maybe you won't be able to have something on your lips that's liquid to drink, but it could Mm -hmm. easily transfer to something else like maybe food or smoking or whatever you might call it. It's just going to yeah. look different. So right, right. it is so important to deal with the fullness of the health that you're dealing with and not just one aspect of the health. You may have 
experience breakthrough within that area. But if you don't deal with what caused those things to happen, mm-hmm. because we as human beings, we're comfortable doing what's comfortable for us. Right. And sometimes walking there. in a place of health is uncomfortable for us. So we have to become mm-hmm. comfortable with being uncomfortable when it comes to breakthrough. Yeah. Yes, yes. The more, the more uncomfortable I was during my healing process, and I'm still healing, I call myself thriving. It's by faith that I thrive. Right. And remember the things that I've learned in my journey is by faith. Before I had breakthroughs, I was uncomfortable a lot. Yes. I was uncomfortable a lot before I had breakthroughs. Mm-hmm. And even now, when I find myself uncomfortable, I can settle into that because I know the breakthroughs close. I can contemplate why I feel the way that I feel that day. What's going on? What's around me? I can write about it. I can talk about it. I don't have to feel bad that I'm not perfect that day. Mm-hmm. I can also realize, because I have a pattern as, as I get older, that uncomfortability is a sign of something needs to be fixed and that there is no fix without being uncomfortable. I think you address that in your book to God Loves Ugly, where you talk mm-hmm. about self-image and yeah. how it affects men's mental health. And I think it's so important that you have that book written yeah. from the aspect of how it affects a man's mental health. Can you talk a little it bit does. more about that as well? Yeah. Well, in our society, we put a lot on the man and we put a lot on each other, but we put a lot on the man as and in the Christian church, we put, we say, the Bible says that man is a leader of the home. Right. But if you dive into it deep, deeper, he's the co-leader with his wife. Absolutely. Or his father. Right. He's co. It is entirely impossible for a man to take on everything. Let's get real. It is entirely impossible for a human being to take on everything when someone, when he has someone else in the house. Absolutely. A partner should be able to be vulnerable. Right. I'm going to say, I'll put a real sweet language on it. Darling, I am feeling stress this week. I have this on my schedule and that. I'm not sure what our oldest son is going through. I've never seen that before. We need to pray about this or research that or get some support around that. Mm-hmm. So men can say that out loud and partners can say, women can say, thank you for saying that. I don't judge you for that. I hear you're saying that. You're not weaker. You're you're still my man. You're still my knight in shining armor. Mm -hmm. You're still great to me. Mm -hmm. You, perfection is not required or desired. Yes. So, yeah. So, like, men have to speak up and not act out. Absolutely. There's a difference in If you are in a situation where you cannot speak out directly to your partner, men, at least speak directly to yourself in the mirror in your alone time. Learn to spend some time with yourself, not just with the boys. You know, time with yourself and check in. This is going on. My daughter's going through this. I have some bills I have to juggle. I'm not sure how to do it. My money only takes me this far, thus far. I want to be a good husband that my my wife can look up to. How do I feel about this? It's okay to check in with yourself. I feel scared about this. I am afraid about that. See, as black men, we're told, be a man. 
It's like the assembly line. You know, wear your hair right, watch football. Here's a label, be a man. Get out in the world and do it. Now let's go. That's not enough. No. We have to remember one thing, that we're human. That's right. And that vulnerability is the strongest, one greatest trait we can have. We know we, we're, we see Superman with an S on his chest. What should be is a V on their chest. Mm-hmm. And we need to say, I can be vulnerable and still be a man. And my partner can see that I'm vulnerable. And then she also can be vulnerable sometimes too. If she can relate to me, if I can feel safe in my vulnerability, I will make others feel safe in their vulnerability. And I'll also say that there's no shame in being vulnerable either, that we need to make sure there's safe spaces so that, you know, especially as women, when you're in a loving relationship with someone, you want to make sure that that man feels safe with you, because if he doesn't feel safe with you, he's not going to want to draw close to you. Exactly. That's true. That's true. If if you, I've seen relationships where and I'm not a counselor. I'm not. I'm. I'm not a counselor. Mm-hmm. So I, but I've, I'm a very good observer. Mm-hmm. And people ask me, and I refer them, and I follow up with their my referrals. Mm-hmm. But when if I've seen um, seen men, countless men, time and time and time again, become vulnerable to their spouse, and then their spouse throw it in their face in a negative way, mm-hmm. like. What kind of man are you? I need this for a man. Mm-hmm. Well, she's not doing that because she's evil. She's not doing that because she's mean, and treacherous. Right. She's doing that because she doesn't know. Right. She doesn't know because she's never probably not seen it consistently. Right. Every relationship between a black man and a black woman or a man and a woman, regardless of race, every relationship between a black man and a black woman is not dysfunctional. No, the way not. the media mm-hmm. portrays, portrays it. People stay married for years and it works for them because they know how to communicate. Absolutely. It's okay if your man tells you that he doesn't feel strong that day. Mm-hmm. And he, if he, you can ask him which area he is and you promise him that you are safe, that you are a safe person to confide in mm-hmm. and you demonstrate that you are safe, then he will come back to you and he will work on that improvement. You can work, you can check in with each other. Absolutely. And I, know, I think if there's strength in the relationship when you hold each other accountable, but do it in a loving way right. so you're not tearing each other down. Right. If it's the same issue over and over again, that's a problem. hold up. Right. Yeah, hold up. But, you know, things come up. So men, express yourself, mm-hmm. not in your punch. And I always say not in your punch and not in your lunch. <laughs> You know, not in a way that express yourself with words right. and practice it. And so that's what I tell men. And in my book, I See Blue Sky, it's, it's, a, it's very simple because when I left home, my grades were terrible when I was a kid. Mm. I left home. I couldn't focus, you know, in the home. Right. I couldn't focus. It. And so I had to get my GED and then work myself out. Mm-hmm. And so I never forgot how it felt to have a GED level of reading. And so I wrote my book in a ninth grade level. So you can read it no matter what level you are. And so there's a Bible verse and there's a commentary for the verse. Okay. A Bible verse and a commentary. So it's like a Bible experience. study. It's a Bible study and it's easy because you it's not front from back reading. No, it's not front to back. You put your thumb in it, whatever scripture comes up, that's the scripture. You don't have to read it front to back. You will, you will find something that you can use just by putting your finger in it and open it up. There's a Bible verse in it. So it's for people who, you know, are not Bible scholars. There are people who just understand the word of God is something that can help you through. 
And also for human beings, for men, I'm saying I say men, but I mean everyone, there is a way to Bible has answers for how to be a man. Right. And a lot of men and a lot of ministers who I love and I went to Bible college so they a lot of ministers take offense when they when I say this, male ministers is the Bible doesn't tell the man to put his foot on the woman's neck. Mm-mm. He doesn't tell the man that even if his wife is right, his word is more important. Right. Some people are more concerned about what is them and not what's right. Right. Um, yeah. So don't get hold. And I think women can do it too. It's just not a, just it's not particularly a gender thing. Mm-mm. Men and women can do that too. So we be willing to negotiate. You know, be willing to negotiate and to let go. And that way, really, that really helps. I know we had to wrap up because you and I we could talk forever. But I will say, make this statement though. A lot of that has to do with insecurity. Mm-hmm. You feeling like, well, I'm in this position. I'm in this role. When really, it's partnership and it's scriptural. When I think about, I know this is not applicable to every situation, but when it feels like we're talking about a couple or a marriage relationship, mm-hmm. the scriptures speak about how the husband is to love his wife mm-hmm. as Christ loves the church, and that's sacrifice. And the wife yeah. is to submit to her husband. Right. Submission is easy when the person is sacrificing. If you think about it, you're both submitting to one another. Exactly. And in the Christian walk, that's really what we do is we surrender. We surrender to Christ. We surrender to one another. And we, that's how we show love and care for one another. So you're just doing exactly. an expansion of that. It's just in a more magnified way in a marriage relationship. Right. Yeah. Right. And God says in the Bible, he says that we are co-workers with, with Christ. Yes. Oh my gosh, we, that's we, so we are cool. right. He does a lot of the work, but we cooperate. We got to show up. We have to do the work, like you said a few minutes ago. Right. We have to show up. Right. And so we, we cooperate with God. I want to say in my book, God Loves Ugly, we're working on making a movie out of it. It's Wonderful. Be about, okay. It takes about two years to make a movie. This is not pie in the sky stuff. It takes a little bit of a while, but one of the stories in the book will be a movie, a Christian movie. All my work will be good outcomes. And if you want to find um, I See Blue Sky, you go to the search box, go to your internet, speak in, I see blue sky, Samuel, and my book will pop up. Yes, and C is the way you normally spell it, because I know there's more than one way to spell it. It's S-E-E, so I see blue skies. Just type in I see blue sky, Samuel. My book will pop up. And everyone, you will see his information in the description of of the podcast of this episode with his links for his website, as well as where you can purchase the book. So you will have options as far as that's concerned, too. I'm not going to leave y'all stranded as far as you do with me. You know, Samuel sounds pretty amazing. I know that's why I had him on the show, y'all. So, <laughs> so. Well, I, I appreciate talking to you so much today. You're different from other hosts because you work in the field. Yeah. And so. That's one of the pleasures of talking to you today because you know what you are talking about. I even get help talking to you. So you're, you're, you're in a special league of your own. I want to encourage you to keep going. Thank you. Yeah. Retire, keep going. If they talk about you, keep going. If they don't talk about you, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Thank keep you, Samuel. Going. That's a right. Yeah. That's a today word. You just don't know. So thank you so much. Yeah. Audience, I want to thank you all for taking out the time to listen to Elisha's space. And I know we're usually a 30-minute, 45-minute podcast, but we might just 
start going to an hour just because I've been getting such fantastic guests and the conversations have organically just been going on this long. But listen, this podcast is a service to you to assist you with resources and support and provide you with hope. Maybe you were able to laugh a little bit at what we were talking about. Maybe something we said resonated with you. Maybe it brought you to a place where you're like, you know, I need to help do some things to with my therapist and I need to be more organic with my counselor. Whatever that might have happened, my hope truly is that it brings you to a greater place of healing, a greater place of joy, and a greater place of peace. I thank you for joining Elisha's Space. Until we meet again. Thank you for listening and we hope you'll subscribe so we can keep the conversation going. Now go move forward in your healing journey.